Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Doing Things Better and Doing Better Things. Um, it's a real treat, this one. Um, I'm talking to Pip Murray, who is founder um, and owner of uh, Pip and Nut. May, some of you may, have known, know, may know Pip and Nut, some of you may not. Um, Pip and Nut is a, uh, a brand of peanut butter and other butters and milks and many, many more things to come. And Pip... Well, Pip's story is quite well known, so I actually didn't focus massively, or in fact at all, on the product. Um, It's essentially a really good, sugar-free, palm oil-free peanut butter uh, and other nut butters. And and I didn't really talk to to Pip about that in any detail, because you can read that stuff in the Telegraph and online, and, and she's, you know, what she's done has been really well covered. The thing that interests me... The thing that interests me full stop, actually, is why people do it. And I don't mean the motivation behind that particular product. That, that, that was born out of a frustration that after a run she couldn't find um, a really healthy, healthy snack. Um, and, uh, and that's understandable. I get, I get that. But, but what is it that's different about Pip? What, what is it that made Pip do this and nobody else? Because the gap in that market is wide open, has been for years, and is known to be open. Um, so I was really interested in, in kind of, you know, her upbringing, um, what motivates her, all of those things that sit around the product. And it was a real treat to have this conversation with her. And um, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's a lovely podcast, this one. So hopefully you'll get something out of it. Um, enjoy it. So I'm sat here um, with Pip from Pip and Nut in a really cool place. You're actually. in the nest. Is, is this the nest? It's is that what we call the it? nest, yeah, where the squirrels live. But squirrels don't have a nest. They, well, they either live in a nest or a dray. Uh, is but, that right? But nobody knows what a dray is, so we call it the nest, yeah. That's really interesting. So I'm with Pip. So what's your full name, Pip? It's Philippa. And what do you do? So what do I do? So, I mean, the formal title is a founder of Pip and Nut, and on a day-to-day basis, I mean, I guess I do a bit of everything. I think that's the thing. It's um, a job that encompasses really kind of like functional stuff like legal IP, right the way through to like all the creative. Um, but my passion point is all the creative brand stuff. Um, so I'm a brand builder, I guess. You're a brand builder? Yeah. To build great brands, mm. how important is it to build great teams? Yeah, I think it's the most important thing and possibly the hardest thing as well because it takes like constant nurturing and at different stages of the business as it's grown, like the kind of people that you need are also totally different. Um, but I always think like your first employee, so I'm a sole founder, so uh, right from the start I had one other guy called Tom and he was definitely one of the most important hires just because you know, that first person brings as much to the table and energy and um, has to build the brand with you. Um, and that first formative team as you're growing is just so important. They've got to have like, the fire behind them as much as you do and like, a bit of a risk taker. And, um, and now as we're growing, there's um, 12 of us now full time, you start to need sort of different skill sets in the team and then creating that culture, um, which is such a kind of ephemeral thing, like it's so up in the air it's, um, and something that everyone contributes to. It's something you kind of never stop thinking about, actually. Um, but it's, I get so much reward from it. We've just had our Christmas party um, last week and I think obviously Christmas party is always a moment to kind of look back and reflect and stuff. Um, but this year I got just really nostalgic because it's been quite a hard year but also a really great year as well um, and you look around your team and you're like oh, it's so great to like turn up to work every day with a group of people that I call my friends as well as like guys that you work with as well and that is like one of the proudest achievements I think and so it's like you know three years in we've still got it so how do we like retain it and that's the kind of scary bit isn't it as you start to grow and add more people how do you make sure you retain that like just that essence of of the brand and the culture i think that's really that's a really apposite point because that, that, i was going to ask you a question in a minute about fleas actually mm. <laughs> yeah but it will, all will become clear but before that i need to ask is tom still here he is yeah yeah okay. he's there, so i'm chief squirrel and he's deputy squirrel and it's great because like 
he like I think he knows the brand just as well as I do and so when anyone starts like he'll definitely like he'll kind of, kind of give them all like the backstories all the gossip and yeah. stuff that's going on and, and that you don't necessarily talk about from a formal business point of view but yeah he's brilliant and like he's really grown with the brand which is just amazing to see um, so yeah, hopefully, yeah, so far so good. He's still with us, and hopefully still loves it. He'll hopefully tell you that himself. That's brilliant. So fleas. So what? Yeah. What I was thinking. Um, I worked with. I work with a lot of startups. Mm. And at the moment, like London and food in particular is full of really great startups. Yeah. And and there's a there's definitely a David versus Goliath. Yeah. Feeling out there in terms of business development, but also in terms of. I'm going to use the word consumers, I hate it, but customers, well, we want to support the small brands yeah. for lots of reasons. Some of that's to do with health, transparency, yeah. ethics. Um, but but ha- having that kind of like startup culture mm. is really interesting. And when you're little, when you're 12 people, did you say? Yeah. When you're 12 people, you can make every hire yourself. Yeah. And your culture runs through you like the word Blackpool through a stick of rock, and, yeah. and you can see that. But as your company gets big, other people will be making those hires. And when you're little, you are customer services. And then at some point, you employ someone to be customer services. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm really interested in in, in how you create a culture that, that that clearly works, but how you pass that on. And the reason I mentioned fleas, is, have you ever trained fleas? <laughs> Have you? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I have had fleas in the house, but that's what happens when Not you have right lots reasons, of yeah. um, When you train fleas, because fleas can jump like really high, yeah. they can jump like two meters high, and, and, and there are real, real things called flea circuses. And I always thought there was nothing there, and we were just paying people money to lie to me. Yeah. There are things called flea circuses, and to train a flea to jump, you put it in a container that's a certain height, and it'll learn to jump. We put a load of fleas in a container of a certain height, and it will learn to jump that high. Mm. So. You put it in a 30 centimetre foot long tall container with a lid on, they'll all jump 30 centimetres. Yeah. And after so many hours, days, I don't know, I'm not an expert, you take the lid off and they'll only ever jump 30 centimetres. Mm. And you can tip them out of the container and they'll sat on the, the work surface and they'll only ever jump yeah. 30 centimetres. And that's fascinating, that's culture. Essentially, mm. you've mm. taught them something about mm. the environment which has changed the way they behave. The interesting thing is when they have children, when they have, children, when they have offspring, and babies, they only jump 30 centimetres. Wow. And so there's something about, and there's loads of other experiments here that you can do. There's a really interesting experiment that's been done with monkeys and electrocution when they try and get a certain thing and you change the monkeys in the cage and they still will not climb the thing because they know they're going to get electrocuted, but how do they know that? Mm. And there's this kind of an inherited memory or, 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 or the way we pass things on. That's fascinating, the fleas and monkeys. How do you entrust people that you employ, or how do you how do you ensure your culture is passed on when you have to do other things? Yeah, and and it's partly the flea thing, mm. and it's partly choosing the right team in the first place. Yeah. Do you have sleepless nights about that? Yeah, it is actually. I think as as we've grown and you know made you know some some people haven't worked out here and stuff like that so you know you you do worry that you're not you're not hiring the right people or that somehow it's going to dilute over time um, and that, that lovely culture that you that we have um i think there, there are a few things like that i sort of think about when i think about how we're going to retain this into the next few years or forever i guess um i guess for me i'm big on like co-creation so like actually anything that we do like everyone should input on and really own so for instance even if it's like all our planning for next year what we're going to do from a you know, commercial but also creative point of view like is a very collaborative process um where it's i would never dictate and just tell people what to do i think it should be something that is bubbled up from the bottom and then you know and, and other people input at different times and i think that's really important because it allows people to own or really own like part of the business I feel like people should have ownership of this business it's not something that it's something I've created from the start but it's now something that everyone contributes to so therefore ownership of like your part of the business what you do um, and therefore um, planning in that in those planning stages I think is really important but we have I think like as we, we literally last week actually did a big session on like values and I think this is the other thing of like how do you in, like make really clear like what your values are and what you what you are and what you're not as well 
Um, and it, sound, it sounds a bit corporate um, and, you know, a bit like cliche to have your like set of values, but I do think they're really important. And again, it comes back to like how you create those values. Yeah. Um, so we created them like with a t- the whole team created the values and input on what they felt was like how we are. So it's, it's more just saying, it's not so much saying like this is our new values, this is like change yourself now. It's more defining actually what people are already doing and making sure it's crystal clear for then new people that come in and understand like how it is that we work together. Um, so I mean, and, and I think that was a really useful session because it's most of the stuff we were saying everyone was everyone was agreeing with or aligned in terms of what you know what they like about working at Pippin Up, what they don't like about working at Pippin Up, and actually that kind of clarity and actually writing them down and kind of being held accountable to them and then using those value sets to be able to kind of um, understand whether or not you're doing things in, I guess, the pip and that way. Um, and then I think there are just, like, really simple stuff that we do as a team, which I think um, just kind of happen naturally. So, as an example, it's not been a really strict rule that we've set, but we would... Like, you'd see nobody at lunchtime eating at their desk. Like, we were a kind of health food brands. We were about you know, celebrating food in, in its entirety and having people eat a desk, a desk lunch with a, like, a soggy sandwich at the desk is, for me, like, a really sad thing. It's like a food brand that's meant to be really vibrant. So really, like, every day, without fail, everyone stops at one. We all sit down together at our, like, kitchen table and share, like, and just chat and get to know each other. And I think that is just a really important, like, it, I guess it's a little bit of culture. It's, like, how we, how we are together. And then on Fridays, we, um, we actually have a competition where someone cooks for like we rotate and someone cooks for, like the whole team and then everyone sits down for like an hour and a half two hours and eats lunch together and you know what it's like you can't really put value on it whether or not it's good or bad but I just think it's like one of the best things about the company is that kind of sharing over a kitchen table which is you know food is at the heart of our business so um, it's nice that everyone has that time I think to talk and get to know each other and that's a sort of like subtle diffusion of I guess like who we are as people, I guess. With your essence. Yeah. That's brilliant. And there's two bits, there's like, oh, fuck, loads of questions coming out <laughs> now, so they may come out in the wrong order. Yeah, go for it. I love the Friday dinner. Mm. I used to, on my placement year, which was, I'm old, <laughs> so it was nearly 30 years ago, Yeah. I used to work in Camden with a mm. transport consultancy, and every Friday I'd make soup, buy nice cheese, Right. we'd all sit down together yeah. and it was really important mm. it was one of those moments that you all enjoyed sharing and mm. it was funny and it was serious and, and you, you just kept our culture tight yeah yeah and I worked with Orange at Comfort Orange Box mm. who make beautiful furniture and they're based mm. in Wales um, they had this realisation that t- say there were, I think there were 25 people working in their design team at the time mm. around that many but every day they'd all go out and they'd all spend three pounds and they'd all or four pounds and they'd all come back with in your words a soggy sandwich and they'd eat it in front yeah. of their, their computer and it, that's not great right mm. that's that's food as function rather mm. than food as celebration mm. and it's not even great food as function yeah so they said okay we'll change that we're, we're going to do but three pounds times 25 75 pound a day being spent on food yeah that isn't great if it's, it's probably near four pounds a hundred quid a day yeah, yeah, yeah so actually if we've got 20 odd people that's one day a month everyone's going to cook a three course dinner yeah and that's going to be less than 100 quid each time yeah it's super cheap yeah. super cheap and so every single day they stop at 12 30 or one o'clock and they all have an hour someone will have cooked it gets really competitive <laughs> yeah ours are so competitive it's, yeah and that's brilliant yeah and and they found that the costing the benefits is hard but they found that the cultural benefits outweighed the time costs mm. and they have a better, tighter team with a greater shared understanding of the things that, that they believe yeah. in. And that's that's ace. Yeah. And it's the thing I think is really important because it's that it's actually someone from the team that actually cooks and there's something about like someone cooking like we could just order in pizzas and just pay like five or a head sort of thing, but actually someone cooks the whole team every week. And it's rotated around, and there's something about like you have to bring a bit of like yourself because you've obviously got to create a meal for someone. But there's something about the it's just different from the just buying it. Yeah, it's the time basically, yeah. and that's the point. It's like it takes more time for someone to spend three hours cooking for a whole team, but they only have to do it once every three months. And 
it's just funny. It's just hilarious. The stuff that comes out of the kitchen sometimes is horrific, but in its own right, it's so hilarious. Um, so yeah, it's the time I think people are actually spending genuine time, to, and this um, sort of feeling goes into that. It's fascinating, and, and we'll come on. I've got a few more things lined up to ask you about in a minute, but one of the things that popped up in in, in that conversation was trust, and you clearly really trust Tom, mm. first employee, and you clearly really trust the team that, that you've got now. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is your baby. Yeah. It's got your fucking name on the top. Right? <laughs> it doesn't get more personal than yeah. that. Not make it hard to sell, by the way. Yeah. But that's we'll come to that later <laughs> as well. Um, this is your baby, so you're trusting them. They're trusting you. Mm. How how do you engender, grow, and value trust in each direction within a company that is learning? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like people will make mistakes. Like you will fuck up like everyone does I will they will and you've got and it's just inevitable when you've got a startup um I read this amazing book that I have literally spouted on about for the past year about called it's called Radical Candor um and it's by this woman who used to like kind of coach like the CEO of Twitter and stuff but she came from Google and it's all about this like um feedback loops and how you give feedback and that feedback is, um, it should be constructive and caring at the same time, and that you should never give feedback which is not caring. It sounds like an obvious thing to say, but if it's coming from a place of like actually wanting to help someone, yeah. it's gonna, um, and therefore also be constructive. But that feedback should flow up as well as down, so it's something I've spoken to nearly all my team about, which is that I should be able to give them kind of really candid feedback, and so should they. And some of my team, like, you know, some interns have actually given me feedback on something that I've done that they didn't really like. And I, I just love that when it comes back up to you because actually it shows that there's a level of trust there within the team. Um, but I do think there is that it's really important to kind of make sure that everyone is um, like being very honest with each other. And so if something's not working that you're able to tell them in the moment at that point, I think you could do this better because of X and, you know, maybe I could help you improve it by doing why um, so that that for me is quite an important thing of like how do you build trust so that honesty that you bring to like the team um, and and that you give feedback in the moment uh, that's kind of caring and from the heart um, but I also just think like you know I, I do try, I think having a small business people are much more conscientious about like how fragile it is um, you know we're three years in and we've got to a place where it feels much more stable than it did obviously in its first year but there's still so many things that can go wrong and I think I think you have to employ the kind of people that are a little bit they like a bit of risk but also um, are just aware of like that's like they that and are find it appealing if uh, their job basically is really contributing to the overall whole of the business and I think nearly everyone that interviews Pippa always says that they want to join a smaller business because they really want to feel like they're making an impact. And that, I think, is a really important trait to have, that there's a sense of like them caring right from the start. Um, but I think when things do go wrong, which I say that they always will, it's about things can go wrong once, maybe sometimes twice, but if it's the third time, then something's seriously wrong there, and that's when you should have like a really frank conversation about it because... I think it's like that learning from learning by doing, basically, but don't make the mistakes repeatedly. And are you able to have those conversations with people as, as a leader? Yeah. Do you do you shy or welcome those opportunities? No, I'm fine with doing it because I think I I recognise that I'll make mistakes and have done, and so therefore, and I've everything that cause my background is, isn't in food and drink at all, so I've had to learn everything from scratch, which has meant that I've made made so many mistakes along the way because you just don't know what you don't know. Um, so I have, I'm quite sympathetic to when people do uh, fuck up, but I think it is important to kind of be like direct about stuff because otherwise people won't even realise how important it is if you've lost a few thousand pounds by doing X because you know when you're a small business everything counts it really does and it's that David Goliath thing you're talking about which is like it's the small details and the small things that actually can give you your biggest strength so paying attention to them and making sure that you don't like, let the ball drop on some things um, is really important. But it can be hard, especially when um, you perhaps don't have the experience that some of the guys in the office have more experience than me in some areas of the business. So it's a funny one when you're actually coming with a different kind of um, experience level, I guess, being able to give that direct sure, feedback. Sure, it's hard, and, but it's yeah. essential because 
because if you you know if you're playing snooker or bowls or something that that, that your the trajectory of the of the release is super important. If it's mm. one degree off at the beginning, it can be like three meters off at the end of the bowling yeah. range, or it can be four centimeters off at the end of the billiard yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to correct it early, mm. otherwise there's an amplification of impact. Yeah. <sighs> Where do we go? I'm really fascinated by. Get, paint me a picture of your teenage years. Paint me a picture mm-hmm. of what made you... Who I am. Yeah. Oh, um, and maybe it was earlier than that. And maybe it wasn't what, maybe it was who. I want to know, like, you could just go and buy better peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> like, but there is better peanut butter out there without yeah. a pick and nut. But, but you're, you're, you're my favourite peanut butter. Mm. Why did you have to get off your ass and do it? Why didn't yeah. you just go and buy it? It's funny, isn't it? Because there wasn't like a light bulb moment where I was just like woke up in bed and was like, got to start a nut butter company. But, and I do think it's an attitude thing more than anything else. So I am like horribly determined. Like it's, it's been like... Why is that horrible? Not, not horribly. That probably is the wrong word to use. I guess just like... I just I'm a bit of a dog with a dog with a bone, if you know what I mean. Once I have a once it starts to chip away at me, I just can't let something drop. But I think it, it really it does come back to you. I was like big family. I'm like the youngest of four girls. Um, and, where's home? Uh, Reading or near Reading, so just yeah. near, near London. Um, and yeah, I mean we weren't competitive as a as a like as um, siblings, but I definitely think there's an element of like you have to be quite like loud in terms of it within your like family. It's quite like interesting dynamic anyway for girls. Um, and I also think like that kind of determination and, um, and independence. My parents definitely um, brought us up as all really independent women, um, which I think is amazing that they did that. Um, but I think the determination really comes from it's like I'm dyslexic and naturally I remember like throughout my whole childhood having to try really hard to get the same grades as like my peers. Um, nothing about intelligence, obviously, it's all just about like, just nothing uh, else to Father like, of four dyslexic children and a dyslexic yeah. one, and possibly even dyslexic myself. Maybe, and that's it. It's like, it, it's, it does run in the genes, isn't it? And actually three of my sisters are also, two of my sisters are also dyslexic. Um, and I just think it creates like this kind of like slightly like hunger to prove yourself because like you're always a little bit behind or you've always got to try that a little bit harder and that kind of like dig your heels in kind of attribute is what I do bring to Pippin up which is just like even when it's a bit hard you just like stick your, like, stick your heels in I think when you're starting something up and you're in that startup phase when you haven't even sold a product but you've got to set up I don't know your supply chain you've got to find some investment and you get loads of knocks loads of no's and like oh you know I don't think it's going to work and all that stuff that determina- like determination streak that runs that stubbornness um, has come from that, I think. It's what has like um, yeah, taken into adulthood, basically. Um, so I think, because I don't think it, running a business, you don't have to be that smart. Like you don't have to, you, you have to be smart enough, but you don't have to be the cleverest person in the room. But it's more about just can, are you willing to stick at something for a long amount of time and be like fanatical with the detail um, and a bit obsessive and that, for me, is like the key thing. It's not about, um, you know, yes, being smarter than everyone. Um, so I think that's what's what's kind of really fed it. Because actually, I never thought I'd run my own business when I was younger. Like actually, running. My dad's a doctor. My mum's a nurse. I always thought I'd work in charity sector or kind of like public sector. Didn't know what a business really was, if I, or brands really were. So it's funny that I've now got my own. And I think it's partly because I'm very independent. Love working for myself and that satisfaction and um, the opportunity that arose when I had the idea initially for Pippin Nut, I, just, it could, I couldn't let it drop, um, and then just ran with it, didn't really, didn't really think twice. Um, yeah. well, I think you are in healthcare. Yeah, funny I, that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think where you ended up, mm. you've not finished yet, Yeah. but I think where you are now yeah. is exactly where you should be, yeah. and it's completely understandable, you know, uh, we've not talked about why you did this because that's you can read about that in other in other places. But being in food is super important. We can't grow companies. Brands is a word I struggle with, but brands mm. that make their customers fat and sick any yeah. longer. Like those days are dead. Mm. Like eating stuff that's not good for us mm. doesn't help us. 
And, yeah. and, and what I love about what you do is your product is good for us mm. relative to all the others. Yeah. And it's also really good for the planet in terms of mm. that there's no palm oil in yeah. it. You've, like, you've taken something that was not great and made it amazing. Mm. And that makes us healthier. Yeah. But it's that way around, which is like, it's really delicious, really yummy, like satisfying. It's like a permissible treat. It's great. But then it has like the, the secondary benefit. You said it earlier when we were offline, but around that it's like the secondary benefit is that it's healthy for you and that it's good for the planet and yeah. stuff. So I, I firmly believe people buy food because it first tastes amazing yeah. and they'll keep buying it after that if they're like, oh, this is, tastes really good. And oh, yeah, it's good for me. So it's a nice like feedback loop. But it shouldn't be about like, health first and that should be the first message that you're putting out there and that's how you create like loyalty there and for us it's like where can we find products that do a similar thing which is like you can fully deliver on the flavor front and that brand experience I guess and the secondary benefit is like it's good for you it's also not messing up the planet um, and that, and so we're we're very much focused on like how do you create like really positive relationships with food because it's not about diet this or low fat that it's about like just eating well and eating better um, so it's like those small changes to your lifestyle I'm not saying that it's not going to transform your life and make you into a superhero but it's like the small things that people can do and the small thing is as a brand you can create little bits of joy in people's day if they can look forward to their breakfast and have a bit of our product on there like granola or something like for me it's just like that's the pleasure really um, yeah. from, from the brand that I get um, from when you like get feedback with people like genuinely enjoying it and, and then also being like, oh, that's good for me as well, which is so the nice, nice way around to have it. Being the youngest mm. of four, do you think <laughs> you had an easier ride than your sisters? Oh, do you think I reckon they'd have a different answer to this one. Yeah. Um, what's the second part of that question? No, answer the first part first. I might first change part. the question. <laughs> so I think... Um, you do have a bit of an easier ride. You get away with murder, definitely. Like, I definitely... I think my older sister had to pave the way and I had to... I kind of followed in her kind of um, channel. Um, the downside is, is that you... I mean, this sounds like get the violin out. Like, you do get a little bit more forgotten because you're, like, one of four. Like, they've already... Like, my mum and dad have already been through three kids before they got to me, and so they're already kind of, you know... Not a conveyor belt. That sounds so mean, but you know what I mean, which is, like... Um, you're less probably like sport than your first, the first perhaps, but um, you definitely. I just think there's a bit of like you do get your own way, and that creates a slightly like a bit of um like twist people's arms sort of kind of attitude where you you try you do um, I think probably get away with stuff that other, like my older sisters wouldn't do. Um, yeah, whether it's been harder, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. And why why haven't they set up? a business like this or have they no none of them have so they again all work they all work in public sector why haven't they so I'm quite um I quite I can handle risk and I, I quite like a bit of risk I think um why haven't they set up I literally have no idea actually um I think the risk thing is funny so my, my sister above me Kaz she said it would be her worst nightmare to ever have a business because like the instability you have with having a startup, um, she would just absolutely hate whereas I get a bit of a kick from it um, I don't know maybe it's the attention seeker in me which is as the younger sibling you kind of have to um, shout above the crowd a bit in fact my first words were and me which I think was because my <laughs> sisters would be like can I have one can I have it and I'll be like and me too so I don't know if that says something about or, me or, or, or is it the absolute security of being loved and safe as the youngest in a family of six yeah I think you're definitely encouraged to be your own person and that and that is and it's a safe world to be in and I, I come from like a really great my family are great and they've been so supportive from day one like my mum when we when I used to do like market stores would come and help on the market stall mm. and stuff so I think there is an element of being like you know you're taking huge amounts of risk in your personal life but you do have a you do have a safety blanket, which as a family, a big family, is an amazing thing to have, and, and um, definitely thankful for my parents for like always supporting, um, even if they didn't think initially in their heads it would work. Um, Did, is that the truth? Yeah. So <laughs> I was uh, 
I always think it's funny because my dad, he gave me like a five grand loan, uh, which I paid back now, but a five grand loan when I was just I getting bet he going. regrets getting the money back. I bet he I know, shares. he shares in the company. Yeah. He does have a few, but he initially gave me a five grand loan and he told me like once I paid it back that he just never expected to see it again. So he was like, this is like right in the early stages when I was like literally needed it to buy a blender sort of thing. Um, which I think is just really sweet that he was just like willing to like sign off that money and just be like, go on, give it a shot. And that encouragement to just go and do something that's really wacky. Probably in like the early days, I don't think he'd necessarily mention it to his mates, but now like he'll be the first one with like the Times article to like kind of drop it casually onto like the coffee table sort of thing and like, I don't know, his uh, friends and stuff. But yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, you're starting something up, you need a support network, whoever that's going to be, whether it's your partner or your sisters, your friends, you do need something that gives you like that morale boost when you're low. Um, and that safety net just so that you know if all the shit hits the fan you're not going to be left kind of slightly stranded thank you um, I think family mm. dynamics are super important mm. and um, and fairness within a family is like mm. mega important yeah tell me um, um, maybe this has never happened but tell me when of an incident or I'm not bothered about the actual context but what happened when you lost your confidence when you were at your lowest ebb when you doubted what you were doing to the point that you didn't know whether you'd carry on yeah number one has that happened and number two how the fuck did you get up and carry on yeah I mean it has happened there's like been a couple of times where it's definitely been like real rock bottom um like this time last year actually and Seriously? Yeah. Because this time last year you looked like a superstar. Yeah, that's the thing. It's that, again, it's like what you project out versus what's actually going on. Um, and sometimes it's a confidence thing, which you can just, you can like put a bit of a facade on if you want and then go home and cry. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I think there's a responsibility, if I'm honest. Like, however much you are, like, striking it out on your own and you've got, like, it's like you that's forging away. Like, you, when, as soon as you employ people and take on investment and stuff like you do feel responsible for other people's lives and I think and then there's also the thing of like you know you're lucky enough to you know decide what you do every day and run a brand and have this like real creative project business and the thought of losing it is like losing a child so it's like you really get very protective of it so even though you might be having a tough time and that you're like fighting your confidence battles of whether or not you have the skill set required to scale this business that you've got um, or can you make it through this difficult patch? You do have a kind of responsibility both to like your team and but also like, you know, there's this thing that you've created and you don't want it to be damaged and you want it to carry on. Um, but I, I spent quite a long time struggling with what kind of leader I was um, because I'm actually, I'm a mix between an extrovert and an introvert. I like being doing talks and standing in front of people but I don't, I do still have to go and have my own time. So it's a funny one being a leader when you're not necessarily like the Jerry Maguire at the front of the stage, like whooping and hollering. Like that's not my style. Um, and for quite a while I struggled with like, well, what is, is my style and how do I bring that to the table? And in the end I kind of came down to it that I'm like an optimistic risk taker. And even though I don't necessarily have like skill set to, you know, manage a big supermarket or uh, run our supply chain, I do have this. Um, innate character trait that has enabled me to create the business that you see today and then finding that and feeling comfortable with what kind of leader I wanted to be has really helped me through patches where I've lost confidence in perhaps some of the decisions that I've made because I know that sometimes I'll make the wrong decisions and sometimes I'll make the right ones but fundamentally I'm willing to take the risks to do it so yeah I think anyone probably at any one time that starts business will struggle with like what is it that what kind of leader am I can I be a leader and it's it's something that you have to actually I think actively spend time thinking about um so yeah so for me like that was finding that has really helped me so that I can know I can stand in front of the team and even if we're going through a wobbly patch be like no I'm I'm confident in myself and therefore I can be confident to you guys and to help us get through this horrible thing that we've got to deal with um yeah and, you, and you're doing a great job yeah it's, it's doing all right like I absolutely love it I, t- I tend to say that I like 90% love it and then there's a 10% like pure hate when things are going a bit bad um but it is such a 
fun and creative and challenging thing and I think learning something new every day which I still do every day we'll learn something new um, is such a pleasure like I could I couldn't switch it for anything else now I mean I'm sure you find the same thing it's like that challenge and you'll do things which you're like I'm not sure if I've 100% got all the skills for this but you you do it and you learn something and that is so satisfying oh god 50% so of the work I do yes. yeah you kind of wing it a little bit <coughs> where, what are your vulnerabilities where, where, where are your I don't mean weaknesses because mm. it's different but where when do you feel vulnerable and how do you deal with that mm. um, when do I feel vulnerable um I think probably the times that I feel most vulnerable are probably in the spaces where I'm having to probably, I said it earlier, speak to people with much more experience and be, but still be the person making the decision. Like that often can feel quite an exposing thing when you have to admit that you don't know what you're talking about and stuff like that. But I think being open and honest about things and being, I'm, I'm probably sometimes a bit too honest with probably my team and I was like literally say, say what everything what anything comes into my mind I'll be brutally honest about everything from our cash flow to our I don't know you know what we're gonna where we're gonna hire next and stuff they'll they you know pretty much everything that's going on and I think that honesty is something that you people really even if you're feeling vulnerable but at least if you're open to kind of telling people like I'm not really sure I'm uncertain can you help me um is such a useful thing to do. I think um, it's a strength, not a weakness. Yeah, it's like asking for help is not a bad thing. I think the worst thing you can do is suffer in silence or just kind of pretend like you do know what you're doing. Like I think and that coming back to that point around like how do you create, you know, a culture, if you can ask for help and people feel that they're really supporting you as well as you supporting them, it's like a really nice like back and forth sort of um dynamic. Um yeah. It's really interesting. And when you when you go home and you you sit down and think about the day, mm. are, are there any kind of core? Are, are there any themes in terms of the things that you think it's been a great day? I'm really pleased with mm. how things have gone. And are there any themes or consistent things that you think actually? Do you know what? I've not I've not nailed that, or because mm. he's bigger than you, or we've not nailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the things that you think you do best and what are the things that you think you still need to work on? Yeah, so I think for when I look, I think the stuff that where we've worked collaboratively as a team and like things for instance we did like a, a brand planning day with Sainsbury's where we were talking about all the stuff that we'd like to do with them into the future and trying to, you know, engage them with our vision for the brand. And we did this like really cool session, like um like created a big installation in the office, like a big theatre style, and it was like a real team effort. Um, the brand really came to life in that day and everyone contributed. And when you can execute something where you feel like you've really like really pushed the boundaries on what that day was and you felt like you really delivered something amazing for like their Sainsbury's team and stuff. That for me was like I came home at the end of the day and I was like, I didn't do all that work. It was like a hundred percent team effort, but everyone really brought stuff to the table and it was just a beautifully beautiful moment. That's the sort of thing that I find most satisfying. The stuff that most infuriates me is when we, um, you know, sometimes in a startup you can be running 100 miles an hour trying to get all these things out the door all at once and you haven't necessarily planned things and that's the moments where sometimes being in a startup that messiness becomes actual just chaos. Um, Like product launches, for instance, as an example, like you try and do sometimes too much and you take on too much and you practically kill the whole team in the process. And so it's, for me, like, constant battle with trying to make sure that we're pushing the boundaries, pushing what we're doing, and, like, being that Goliath, like, um, being nimble and active and whilst also not creating complete kind of um, kind of chaos in its wake, and how do you control that? So, um, so yeah, I guess that's not, not quite answering your questions, what are the things that we need to work on? I think sometimes about, like, as we grow, that how we talk to each other. It's funny, we're not big, but things drop through the gaps where we literally people won't know about some really important stuff and that can be really infuriating because you're like we're literally all in one room like we should be able to speak you to each other exactly like why is it that people aren't talking to each other so little things like that but I wouldn't 
Um, and there are just so many things that we can improve, like little, like little tweaks around the products, little improvements around our supply chain, all this stuff. But you kind of also got to kind of be aware that, like, you're, you know, you can only do so much, and you're solely you're 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 planning from a blank sheet of paper. So you will have to build layers upon layers of stuff, and it, not everything will be perfect. You're not going to be like a Unilever brand from day one. You have to like build it slowly, and pick and choose your battles, basically. Um, yeah. Just so you know, and, and I don't know whether people tell you this or not, I don't think you'll probably get the distance from the company to see it. But the Unilevers, and the, you mentioned this twice actually, Have talking I? to somebody that knows more than you. Yeah. No one knows more than you about people though. Yeah, this is true. I think I think about Navasa more than anyone else in the UK. I think you probably do. Um, you are the shooting star of this galaxy. And like people look at you as a person, but you as a brand, and there's a question about how you mm, differentiate yeah. the two, which we'll come to in a minute. We'll finish on that. Um, people look at you with awe, right? You are the poster company. Oh, that's this. so funny to hear that. No, well, you, you won't see it because, mm. you're, because you are in it. this, yeah. But, but if you helicopter out a little bit, like, you, you, you're leading, you're winning, people want to be you. And those companies that do this all the time, mm. that what they can't do is approach the problem in a different way. They can't see it from, from your point of view and they can't understand how you've built your tribe because that's what you've done. Yeah. You've built a following of people that want different. Mm. And, and, and I'm not going to mention the brands that already exist, but there's loads of mm. peanut butter brands, but they're boring. Mm. Or they're worthy, mm. and and you're not either of those things. It's mm. about it's exciting. Mm. People want to get behind you because they believe what you believe. It's mm. all a bit Simon Sinek, but I'm not yeah, going to yeah. knock that because it's still the best yeah, thing yeah. out there to explain yeah. mo- mo- motivations. But but just so that you know, everyone wants to be you <laughs> as a brand. <laughs> no, like they do. They really they really do, and um, and you're and we're all watching. And like, like the, the milk is dead exciting, mm. super exciting. Mm. And we come on, we'll finish, maybe we'll finish with where you go next. Yeah. Um, but how, but I'm going to go back to the question that I kind of nearly asked. Who is Pip and who is Pip and Nut? How do you separate the two? Mm. And you are going to get approaches to be bought out if you haven't already had them, and I'm guessing you have. How do you ever sell something with your name on it? All good questions. How do you separate the pit from the pit from art? So, I probably first couple of years definitely didn't ever separate the two, and it's funny because I still get people being like, "Oh, I saw you the other day in Sainsbury's." I'm like, "Me or like Pip and Nut?" And it's, it'll be Pip and Nut. Um, I think um, naturally, if you are creating something from scratch, like you throw, you put so much of your personality. It's an incredibly like exposing thing to like create something and put it out there in the world and be like, "Yeah, that's." that's mine I'm gonna tell the world about it um, I think now though I am trying to slightly separate myself a bit partly because um, as a brand I think like there are, there's stuff that Pippa not do and there's stuff that I believe in so for instance um, well, I'm really passionate about female entrepreneurship I think more women should be involved in business I think there aren't enough female leaders I don't think I've got enough females to look up to so there must be a generation below me that also thinks something similar um, and you know I think sometimes females are a bit not very good at selling themselves and selling their what they're working on as much as perhaps men um, and I think that's just about neutralizing the playing field basically um, so that, that's where I mean like which is where I want to try and slightly separate myself from my business because I want to have a voice in this world and I think um, and, and I want although it's sort of still linked to like Pippa Nut obviously um, I think it's important that that I kind of project those things that I believe in as well. Um, so right now, at the moment, actually, it is a bit of a kind of slight separation. But don't get me wrong, I don't want to particularly be like a health food blogger. That's not really me. I'm not very like I'm not a big one for like doing talking to Instagram stories sort of thing. I can't do that. But I do feel like I could have a voice in a space which, you know, in that kind of business kind of um, space, startup space, um, to kind of encourage more women to get into business. Um, 
so yeah so that I think is a really important thing to kind of slightly separate yourself um, and not for me that's just for me and not become the brand um, and also I guess it does come to that point around like you know at some point I may want to do I probably will want to do something else and um, but leaving this right now feels a bit too a weird conversation to have it's Pippin is still very much my baby I want to for years, for years to come yeah. and I have a huge passion about it and about where it could go um, but it does also I think it's an important thing to, if you are thinking about that where you might want to do next that you will need to be separate from it at some point um, so yeah So and, and how do you go about selling something like that I think that won't be the hardest thing I'll ever have to do I think because it's <laughs> your first business it's such like I said it's such a piece of you like you put like blood, sweat and tears into it um, and so I think I can't imagine not waking up and thinking about Pippa and I it's like always on my mind I'll always be like tinkering with things not because I'm obsessed by work but more like I just really love it find it really interesting and not just picking up but like that world of brand, like brands and food and drink and startup just such a great space to be in um, so I can't imagine stepping away from it if I'm honest but you know it will happen at some point um, naturally if you've got investors they want a return at some point so but I'm not really thinking about that because I think if you're thinking if your motivation is that I want to make loads of money and sell this thing it's just, you're just never get it off the ground that will never ever work and I've never had that attitude of like I just want to be a millionaire that's just not even part of my like vocabulary or how I approach the business um, so yeah work, ask me in a, I don't know five years time and see how I say to answer as a date coming back in five years time yeah um, it's very it's very it's interesting you talked about the introvert in you and I think Every extrovert I know is frighteningly introvert as well, mm. and you don't know that. Mm. Yeah, I'm an introvert, extrovert, introvert sandwich. That's yeah, just yeah, yeah. I remember the yeah. way I am. I can't help it. And we've had that conversation before. Um, I think that's normal. This is a very revealing, very revealing process that you're going through. Your name is on the bloody pack. <laughs> right? You don't get much more yeah. opening than that. And yet, I get the sense that you're quite a private person, mm. and and that contradiction is really interesting. Yeah, is there any is there any heat from that attrition, or are you are you really comfortable with it? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, you are right. I am quite. I can be quite private. So um, it wasn't a criticism. Yeah, you. no. I think it's just it is who I am. So, but I think with Pippa Nut, like there is an element of like really like kind of a straightforward way of saying it, it was a lot of people don't even realize that my name is the Pippin the Pippin nut so I still feel that there is some sort of separation and then are, are they idiot I mean <laughs> what do, they, do they think it's an apple pip or do they think it's a man <laughs> I literally have no idea maybe I think I'm, <laughs> I have no idea um but I mean I think having not been the reason why I started up the business wasn't because I wanted to become famous or whatever but I do recognize that as the business gets bigger, I can have a voice in this world, and I actually, I just need to get more comfortable with speaking and being more open. So, it's sort of a bit of a learning thing for me, and like you know, trying to like, l- like relax into that. Um, like I said, I don't think I'm going to become like a health food blogger. That's I have a huge amount of respect for people that can do that. Cause it's great, but it's not me. But I do recognise that I think I can and should sort of self promote a bit more because not because I want to be famous because I think I can have a voice um, and that's a real privilege if you do start to build that kind of profile um, why not maximise on it because you can do a lot of good through that so it's just basically fighting internal demons isn't it like you have to just kind of like push down the kind of like you know anxiety you might get from opening up and actually just be like actually if you do normally something good comes from it um, either someone helps you or someone else finds that that has helped them so yeah, I think you just have to like balance your like introvert extrovert kind of tendencies and don't be one, don't try and always be the extrovert, but always try and not always be the introvert. It's a fine balance, isn't it? But you know, I think you should always keep some stuff back that is just for you because you know you are also a completely separate person that is not just around about your business sort of thing. So yeah, it's brilliant. It's the best answer anyone's ever given me. Oh really? That. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, Pip, incredible. Your business is amazing. The product's beautiful. 
What's next? What's next? Um, so we're pretty ambitious as a brand. I think what we're working on at the moment, well, what I see the vision for Pippinot is that we'll have, I guess, a family of like products under the brand. So we've started with nut butter, we've got nut milks now, um, and so we're looking at like other product innovation. I love product development. It is the most fun process of like any part of the brand. Yeah. It's just like bringing something to life. Like what, watching something run off the production line for the first time. It's it's like as close as I could get to probably giving birth that I know of because I haven't got kids. Um, it's amazing. So you know, for me, it's like we've got a brand that really resonates with people. So how can you maximise that? And I think through other products that um, we feel like there are in categories that could that needs some help or could be revived or cleaned up, whatever. So innovation, so we've got loads of different products. Cleaned up, I love that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, that's why I think of it. It's like just clean up a product. So we've not reinvented the wheel with nut butter, we've just improved it, tweaked it, um, but not made something completely brand spanking new. Chocolate spreads. Well, maybe, maybe. You know it makes sense. <laughs> Let's take I think on I'd the big like, Yeah, yeah, careful. Um, and then I guess there's like we're looking at a bit of like like international stuff, so a bit for Europe. Um, but but for me, it's all about product development. Like that's where I think our real strength is. So hopefully, in like a few years' time, we'll just see us scattered throughout the supermarket. That's brilliant, uh, and that's a really long interview, and I'm not going to cut that. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Honestly, um, what you do, you do brilliantly. Oh, thank you. And the world is better to have you in it than to not have you in it. And you have created real change through business, not through preaching. And that is a, that's a magic, that's a little that's mm. a superpower. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Pleasure. So hopefully you got some um, information, some motivation and some inspiration from that. It, it's, I find it endlessly fascinating um, when I think about or talk to people about what drives them, why they want to make a difference. And the challenge is... In growing a business from something really small to something, you know, sizable, not even to sell it, just to to have a bigger impact, to make to make more change, um, they they can't be underestimated. And Pippin as a brand is at a really interesting point. Um, it's gone crazy, and she is, you know, Pip is the the kind of poster person, poster person for for kind of startup and food revolution, and and that's incredible. But actually she's the poster person for better health and better being and and that's really important as well um it's not just about growing a great business it's about building great people and and i think that that shone through through that talk so that talk that podcast you know what i mean um so hopefully yeah um you enjoyed it now i'm sat stood here by the fire um in the garden it's about three, four days before Christmas 2017. Um, and, and if you're going to take anything from that, just take this idea that you can turn a notion, a, a, an inkling, into something really beautiful. And whether that be making your own peanut butter or sauce or whatever, curing your own bacon or whatever you do, or, or whether it be turning it into something that changes other people's lives, it will change someone's life. And the start of the year is always a good time to take stock of where you are. So have a great Christmas. And um, if you listen to this later, that makes no sense. But have a great Christmas. And, um, and actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. It, it, we, we use the 1st of January notionally as a, as a new start. Every day is a new start. Every day you get the same number of seconds, hours, minutes. And every day you can do something different and make a, make a, make a difference to your life if, if nobody else's. Thank you. Tune in for the next one.